Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. I'm Roy. Uh, for any of you guys that, that don't know, um, I get the, the privilege and the honor, the pleasure of, of pastoring um, this church. Sometimes I feel more like the ringleader of a circus. Uh, because, like literally, sometimes because just so many crazy things go on in in uh, with this church, and there we go. See, um, and I get to hear so many awesome stories and um, just about things that people are doing, things that are happening in people's lives, and it, it's so encouraging. Um, if you weren't here last week, I would really encourage you to listen uh, to the podcast of last week's message. Um, because there's a truth in there that really will set you free. Um, and I, I just I talked about the fact that, you know, when, when Jesus was talking to Peter, He said, Peter, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded per- permission to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen my brethren. And He says this to him. And a little while later, he says, the cock won't crow three times before you've denied me. And by the time the, the cock crows, you'll have denied me three times. And, and looking at, at, at Peter, we would naturally say that his faith failed. He, he refused to even acknowledge that he knew who Jesus was to a little girl around a campfire. And yet we know that Jesus prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. And if Jesus prayed and asked the Father for anything, it was given to him. Because he said to us, if you ask anything in my name, it will be given to you. So anything Jesus prayed, it was given to him. It was done for him. So when he said, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail, then literally it meant that Peter's faith wouldn't fail. But then we see Peter just a few days later absolutely denying Jesus, returning back to fishing and turning his back on him. And we would look at him and we would say that his faith failed. But God has a bigger perspective than we do. And God sees that moment at the same... He sees not linear like us. And we, have, we try to force Him into this box of thinking linearly. But He's outside of time and He sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. So He sees the day that Peter says, I never knew the man. At the same time as He sees the day that, Je- that Peter stands before people preaching the Gospel who want to kill him. And they say they're going to kill him. And he says, if you're going to crucify me, then at least hang me upside down because I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. And he labels Peter by his success, not by his failure. You can identify yourself with your mistakes and with your failures as long as you want to. God won't stop you from it. But whenever you're ready to identify yourself by the righteousness you found in Christ, He's right there waiting. And that's how He's always seen you. I promise you. I promise you, the minute that you're ready to go, He's like, okay, let's go. I'm not staying back there. Why? Because He said, I, the Lord your God, will forgive your sins and remember them no more. So far as the east is from the west, so far has your sin been removed from me. In other words, the minute that you've repented, changed your heart, changed the way you think, confessed, I I wish I hadn't done that. It's that regret that comes. You're born again. You can't be okay doing those things that you once did without thinking. Now you have a conscience that won't even be okay with it. Things that you didn't think twice about. Now when you do them, you just can't be okay. Why? Because the way that you think has changed and what you thought was wrong is, 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 or what you thought was good is now you see it as being wrong and you actually see clearly. 
And so you just can't be okay because the way that you think has changed and repentance is just lining up with the way that God thinks, seeing it the way God sees it. Godly sorrow, repentance, changing your mind, changing, doing a 180, going the opposite way from it. And the minute you've done that, as far as the east is from the west, so far as your sin removed from Him. That's His words. That's what He said. That's not like our plan that we're talking God into and trying to get Him to sign on. God, wouldn't it be awesome if you'd just forgive us and then you would remember it no more? You know the beautiful thing about that is? Is that from that day forward, from the minute that it has been forgiven and forgotten, any voice that speaks about anything tied to that sin is not the voice of the Father. And you can absolutely ignore it and know that it's not Him because He said, I will remember it no more. If He doesn't remember it, He's not bringing it back into your remembrance. And if He thought it was worth forgetting, I bet He thinks that it's worth you forgetting as well. It's just the truth. But you don't, you don't know what I did. You know the cool thing about that? Neither does God. I know it sounds blasphemous except for He said it and He's bound by His Word because He exalted His Word even above His own name. So if He said He would remember it no more, He's not a man that He should lie. There is no shadow of turning in Him. He can't remember it because He's bound by His Word. Isn't that amazing? See, if we say it like, I'm never going to talk about this again. Like we forgive people sometimes, right? And in the moment, it's easy sometimes to forgive because you see the pain on their face and you see how they feel bad and you want to make them feel better because you love them and care about them. And so you say, I forgive you. Listen, it's like it never happened. And in the moment, you mean that. The problem is is that because we're human and we're not actually God, we can, if we choose to, remember it and bring it back up at another time. How many of you guys have done that before? Forgiven somebody and then brought it back up to them? You heathens. Don't you know that God said the way that you measure will be measured to you? The problem with that is that in order for Him to keep that on that, He would have to break His Word that said He would never bring your sin up again to you because He'll remember it no more. But don't do it. But see, He's not like us. He's not human. So when He says, I forget it, He actually forgot it. And when he says he won't remember it, he actually can't remember it ever again because he's not a man that he should lie. He is bound by his word. That's good news. See, that's the gospel. The gospel is good news. It should make you smile. It should make you feel better about who you are in Christ. If it's not bringing life, if it's not bringing joy, if it's not bringing peace, it's not the gospel. You can hear part of the gospel and lack joy and peace, but you can't hear the full gospel and accept it and lack joy and lack peace. So if there's a lack of peace or a lack of joy, it's not because there's something that you're waiting for God to do. It's there's something about God that you don't know or you don't understand yet. My people are destroyed, perish, for a lack of knowledge and because they have rejected the knowledge that I've given. My people. My people. My daughters. My sons. Good people. People that love God. People that go to church every Sunday. People that raise their hands in worship people that tell people about Him, people that pray, people that fast, His people, good people, have parts of their lives that are being destroyed because of the lack of knowledge that they have or because they've ignored the knowledge as it's come. See, it's one thing to look out at the world and say, yeah, people are just being destroyed for lack of knowledge, but that's not what God was doing. God was looking at His people and He saw destruction in His people's lives. He saw areas where the enemy was stealing from His people. He saw areas where people were living so far below the life that He came and died for them to live. And He says, my people perish. My people. My people don't understand the covenant that they had. If they did, they wouldn't live where they're living. 
And it grieves His heart for us. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 17. And then we're going to go from there to John 11. I check my slides sometimes. Especially when my wife coughs. She wasn't that time telling me to check my fly, but there's been times before where I've got down on stage, she said, honey, you preached the whole message with your fly down. So now I'm a little self-conscious. Um, I, did it, I did it a few weeks ago. I preached at a different church, second service. Yep. It's a good thing he does, right? You could probably get smoked for that in the Old Testament. I bet if you look somewhere in Leviticus, there's something about smiting someone if they do that. The Old Testament was easy, right? You just, you got smote. Like, it was very simple. You did it or you got smote. Or taken to the edge of town and smote or, you know, whatever. But it was, yeah. Um... So Luke chapter 17, verse 5. You guys, it's okay to have fun in church and enjoy ourselves and laugh, right? Like, it's cool to do that. Because we're going to laugh anyway, so you might as well just say yes and agree so that you're on the right team. Um, oh. See, smooth and polished. Uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. God, I, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. I thank you that today, as we read from it, as we speak from it, Holy Spirit, that you open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, our hearts to receive, that we would be good soil. That your word, God, would go into our hearts and produce a fruit in our lives that a world that is lost and does not know you would taste the fruit of our lives and know that you're good because of the fruit on our trees. We thank you for that. We thank you, God, that you've made us good trees and that a good tree can't produce bad fruit. And we thank you that we've been changed, God, that we ate once from the bad tree and it changed us, but we ate once again from the right tree from the first fruit, from Jesus Christ. And it changed us forever. And we thank You for that in His name. Amen. So I have preached this before, and you've probably heard people preach this before, and there's preaching that goes all about you know faith like a mustard seed, how a mustard seed's tiny but grows big, and, and all those things are really true. But I was just reading innocently through Luke chapter 17, and I came across this verse, and I got to a part of the verse, and I stopped, and I just heard something, saw something I'd never seen before. Um, it was this, that Jesus looked at them, they said, increase our faith, and He said to them, if you had faith like a mustard seed... You would say to this mulberry tree. And I stopped right there and I thought, he just told them, you guys, if you had faith, you would say something. Like if you actually believed, something would come out of your mouth. And I've always worried about, you know, being cast into the sea or the mustard, like I said, all that. But I realized something that, that, I, that I saw that was, just seemed so simple to me, but I never saw it before when I read this. And this was this. Jesus was saying, here's how you can tell what you believe. 
If you look at something that is a problem, if you look at something that's an obstacle, and something comes out of your mouth that deals with the problem, then there's a faith in your heart that it's causing that to happen. And the fact that you're not speaking something when you look at a situation means that you don't have a belief in your heart of something better, and you're being ruled by what you see rather than by what you know. Amen. Thanks for coming this week. That's all I got. But you notice this, that the tree was still rooted. The tree was still standing there. He said, if you say it, then it would be uprooted. So they're looking at a mulberry tree that's rooted in the ground and that for all intents and purposes is going to stay there for as long as that mulberry tree lives. He said, if you had faith, you would say something to it and then what you said because of the faith that you had would actually happen in front of you and you'd see it happen. So many times we withhold our, hold our tongues until we actually see something and then we believe it and then we'll talk about it. And Jesus said that's so backwards because in the kingdom of God, what you believe inside of you comes out of your mouth and then you actually see the thing happen that you believe would happen before you opened your mouth and spoke. And the evidence of it was that you actually believed something enough to open your mouth. If you believed, you would say. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 14 says, from the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things and the work of their hands brings them reward. Proverbs 13, 2 says, from the fruit of a man's mouth, he enjoys good. 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. If you don't like the fruit that you see in your life, maybe it's because the things that you're speaking and the seeds that you're planting are bringing forth a fruit that you don't like. And rather than just changing what you say, understand this, that if your heart changes, what you say will line up and follow. And you can't just walk around saying things that you don't believe, because if you do that, you're actually a hypocrite, and there's no power and there's no authority in what you're saying. You can't simply just say it. You actually have to believe something in your heart, and then that will cause your mouth to speak. So when our kids say something, we look at them and say, watch your mouth. But what we really should be doing is saying, watch your heart. What's going on inside that's causing it to come out of your mouth? Because simply biting your tongue but thinking it inside is a little better than actually saying it. But it, it means that nobody else gets hurt by what, you, what is going on inside. But it doesn't help you one bit. Maybe you're operating in a little bit of self-control, so maybe it does in a little bit that way. But the problem is this. The problem isn't that you, what you wanted to say. The problem is that you actually wanted to say that, that that was inside of you. If I'm constantly going around having to bite my tongue because what wants to come out of my mouth doesn't line up with what comes out of God's mouth, there's a problem and it's a whole lot deeper than my tongue. It's actually a heart issue. And this is what Jesus is saying. saying, listen, if you guys believed you would say to that mulberry tree. If there was something going on inside of you that recognized, hey, that should not be there. That's not where that's supposed to be. You could actually open your mouth and speak and see something happen if you believed in your heart that it actually could. So, Romans 10.10 says, with his heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness. With his mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. In other words, my heart changed positions me so that what I speak actually brings the reward into my life. But it starts with my heart. 
if I believe in my heart. That's why Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. Why didn't He say from your mouth? Because anybody can say it from their lips. Remember Jesus was talking about the Pharisees. He said, with their lips they honor Me, yet their hearts are far from Me. He wasn't worried about what was coming out of their lips. He was worried about what was going on in their heart. And even when they lied with their lips, it didn't make anything better because all that did was make people think something that wasn't true on the inside of them. That's why I said, you guys are hypocrites. You whitewashed tombs. On the outside you look so good, but on the inside you're just whitewashed and empty. Well, why? Because with their lips, they honored Him, but their hearts were far from Him. In other words, what they were saying didn't line up with what they believed. The problem is one of two things. Either what we're saying doesn't line up with what we believe, or what we believe doesn't line up with what God said. And I can't afford to have things come out of my lips that have never come out of His. And so, I was just I was reading that, and then in, in thinking about that, I started thinking about the story of of Mary and Martha. You know, and, and listen, I, I already know because some people have been in teaching that was like, you know, you just say it, just name it, claim it, not kind of stuff, right? And so, so you just say it and, and then it'll happen. No, I'm saying it because I actually believe that it will happen. I, I don't have faith in my words. I have faith in, in Him and that's what's causing those words to actually come out of my mouth. My faith is not in what I say. My faith is in the One who's causing me to say that. Does that make sense? Like, it's not like this magic formula where I just say something. It's this magic formula where I actually believe the one who is able and that belief in my heart actually causes those words to come out of my mouth. Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So think about like what you've been saying. Have you ever noticed people that go around sowing discontent are always discontent people? Have you ever noticed that people that sit around and all they want to talk about is the problems that are going on are people who always have problems? Have you ever been around someone that everywhere they go, there's drama? And you just look at them and, and you, you like, if you have a relationship with them enough to where you can speak into their life, and maybe even if you don't, I'm, I'm telling you, we've said this before, maybe we need to get past that whole, well, you haven't earned the right to speak. Amen. Whoa. I think Gladi agrees. <laughs> no, but think about this, right? Like, what right had Jesus earned to speak into Zacchaeus' life and to say, I'm coming to your house today? What right had Jesus earned to sit down with the woman in the well, tell her everything that had gone on, and then tell her to go sin no more? What right had Jesus earned to speak into any... How much relationship did Jesus have with the rich young ruler? How long had they been friends? When did the rich young ruler and Jesus give each other permission to speak into each other's lives so that they could handle hearing things from Him that may, might sting a little? I think we've made that up. I think that's to keep us from actually hearing the truth and because some people out there are just jerks. And some people go around just saying things that they probably shouldn't say. And because of that, the backlash has been, well, you need to earn the right. I don't know that I can find that in the life of Jesus. I don't know that I can find that in the Bible. And I don't know that that's the best way to live. Because what I'm saying is the only people who can look into my life and say something are people that I've given permission to. Well, if I'm in living in deception, perhaps the deception goes so deep that I'm not giving people permission to speak into my life. 
And maybe I've isolated myself to where I don't really have any true friends that see what's going on, and the only people who could speak into my life would be people who maybe would never see it. I don't know, I'm just saying, if I can't find it in his life, I should probably have a hard time justifying it in mine. But you know, sometimes you meet people and, and, and you're, you're talking with them and they go and they start telling you all their problems everywhere they've been. And it's always someone else. Always. Well, I went here and this happened and then I went there and you would not believe this and I went there and you wouldn't believe this guy and then I went there and oh my gosh, those people. And then I went here and I got this job and that boss and my family and my... And it's like pretty soon you're looking at them and you're thinking like, bro, do you understand that everywhere you go, you have a problem? And that maybe, just maybe, there's a chance. Call me crazy. There's a chance that it's you. I'm not saying it's you. I'm just saying there's a chance. Because if everywhere I go there's drama, maybe it's because everywhere I go I sow drama. And not to mention, how many of those things that I'm complaining about can stand up to the fact that Jesus called me if I wanted to follow Him to deny myself, make myself not the most important part of that equation, take up my cross daily and follow Him? So what if everywhere I went... What if, okay, so what if in the odd chance there really were people with problems everywhere I went and I wasn't the problem? Maybe I was there so that I could be the answer to the problem, not the one who's hurt and adds to it. What a shame it would be if the one with the answer walked into the room and got offended and became a bigger part of the problem every single time they entered a room versus the bringing the light. I know that's nobody in here. But I'm just saying, if you know people like that, you maybe consider talking to them about it and just saying like, hey, one of two things. Either you could be the problem or you're supposed to be the answer and you keep letting the enemy run you out of every place that God sends you. Sooner or later, you should probably realize that you're there to love and lay your life down and be the answer so that when you leave, you don't leave a bigger mess than you came to. Because most of the time when Jesus came into a situation, He left and the situation was better. He didn't leave hurt and offended with another story. So, this is just for the podcast. Don't you guys pay attention to this. But we have a lot of people listening. You guys know we've had like over 60,000 messages downloaded this year. That's pretty amazing. Um, people just listen all over the place. And so, um, so this is for those podcast people, if you guys are listening. If that's you, repent. <laughs> that means change the way you think. And realize that maybe every problem situation you got into was because you brought the problem with you or because you were supposed to bring the answer. All right, now I'm back to you guys. <laughs> so thinking about that in light of, a, of another common story, some things started to stand out to me. And um, uh, I'm going to read a pretty big portion of John 11. In fact, I'm going to read from the beginning through verse 45. So buckle up. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. 
But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that, she, that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that he may awaken out, to awaken him out of his sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's such a bright and cheery guy. <laughs> he could have just played along with it and been like, I know, but I have to go there and wake him up. Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to him, his fellow disciples, let us go also so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already... You guys realize that's doubting Thomas that said that? You guys realize that he was the only disciple that didn't try to talk Jesus out of going somewhere, but actually said to the rest of the disciples, if he's going to go there and get killed, let's go get killed with him. But yet we label him for one mistake and call him doubting Thomas. It's a good thing God doesn't do that with us or we'd all have nicknames. Seriously. Why did you... How many of you guys have, have actually knew that that was Doubting Thomas before you heard me say that? Why is it that we're, we know him for the time when he said, I won't believe it unless I put my hands into the, his scars, but we don't know him as the disciple who actually was so brave that when he thought Jesus was going to die, he rounded up the rest of the disciples and said, then let us go die with him also. It's because pointing out that Thomas doubted makes us feel better about the times that we doubt, if we're honest. That was for the podcast too. <laughs> so then Jesus came. He found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, you guys, there's another time we do that, right? Because... Martha's the bad one who stayed in the kitchen. Mary's the one who actually went and sought after Jesus and sat at his feet. But here it says Mary stayed at the house and Martha went out to meet Jesus. Why do we do that? Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. When she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was laying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the sea, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came with Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. If you keep reading, it says, And from that day forward, the Pharisees began to plot that they would kill him because he was doing so many miracles, people were starting to believe. Man-made authority will always seek to kill God-sent authority. Always. They just watched Him raise a man from the dead. And when they hear this, they plot to kill Him. When somebody has authority that they've taken themselves and they are confronted by somebody on whom God has bestowed with authority, they get nervous and they try to eliminate the godly authority because it, it supersedes theirs. And they knew that the authority they had came from men. And they were afraid of Jesus because the authority He had came from God. And from that day, it says they sought to kill Him. Just a side note, but it's kind of crazy. So okay, here's the, the Jesus is with, He's in a town. He's just been there at, at the town where Lazarus and them lived. And when he was there, the Jews tried to stone him. And so he gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick. It says, now Jesus loved Mary and Martha and her brother Lazarus. So he stayed in the place that he was two more days. I think that's logical, right? Why did he stay two more days? Well, there was a bunch of reasons. But part of the reason I think it tells us that he loved him and so he stayed two more days is to let us understand that God responding in our timing is not a measure of his love for us. That God responding when we want him to doesn't determine whether or not he loves us. His love for us is shown by the end result. They would see that he loved Lazarus by the time it was all said and done. But the minute he heard that Lazarus was sick, it says he loved him, so he stayed an extra two days where he was. And he's setting this whole thing up. And so he's coming to the town where Lazarus is, and he's approached by the sisters, first by Martha, then by Mary. And it says that Jesus, when he hears Martha, 
answers her and says, your brother will live. When he hears Mary, it says that he was troubled and deeply moved. It says, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and he was troubled. That original language there, that word troubled, means agitated, troubled, Oh yeah, troubled and agitated. Why was he troubled and agitated? When he talked to Martha, it doesn't say anything about him being troubled and agitated. It says that he looked at her and said, your brother will live. But when when he talks to Mary and hears what she says and sees the people around her crying, it says that he was deeply moved and agitated. He already knew Lazarus isn't going to die. He's not moved by the fact that he thinks Lazarus is going to die. He's not moved by the words of Mary that say Lazarus is dead. He already got the report. Remember the first thing he heard when he said in verse 4, this sickness is not to end in death. He already spoke what he believed to be true and he lived off of that. So it wasn't as if he got there and got agitated and was troubled and was deeply moved. And some people say, oh man, Jesus was, he was so human that when he found out his friend died, he cried. That is not the reason that Jesus wept. It cannot be the reason that Jesus wept or he would have wept and been moved and agitated the first time he saw Martha and she said that his, her brother was dead. There was something about Martha's response that kept him from being agitated that wasn't there with Mary's. And I love when two things happen in the same verse and you see one reaction or same chapter and you see Jesus respond one way to one and one way to the other because in the balance somewhere is the answer and the reason. So here's number one. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Both of them said, if you hadn't been here, my brother would, if you had not, had been here, my brother would still be alive. But one of them looks at him and says, and even now I know that no matter what's going on, no matter the fact that he's dead and he's been in the tomb for days already, even now I know that if you ask God, God will do whatever you ask. In other words, Martha still had hope and she still believed, so she actually said something. If you believed, you would say, Martha believed and it caused to come out of her heart or out of her mouth what she believed in her heart, which was, he is dead. That's the truth. But I know that even though you're still able. She hadn't lost hope. She wasn't hopeless. She wasn't in despair. And she still believed that Jesus was capable of anything. And then there's Mary. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and he was troubled, agitated, and said, where have you laid him? Mary believes and so she says. The difference is she believes there's nothing more that can be done. She's looking at the Messiah and saying, look, I know you could have healed him from his sickness, but now that he's dead, 
See, sometimes we believe God for something and we have in our minds that we trust God and we believe God and and everything's fine, but then something happens and it goes a little further than where we had put our faith. And all of a sudden, it's as if we've forgotten about who He is, we've forgotten about what He's capable of, and we look at Him with hopelessness and despair and say, well, I know you could have if this would have happened, but now that this has happened, there's nothing more that can be done, so I'm going to weep and I'm going to mourn and I am going to let my sentence end with if you had not if you had come he would not be dead period and it says at that point Jesus hears what she says and he sees the Jews who are weeping and what is he saying he's saying listen and, and it says he got troubled and he was agitated and then he comes to the tomb and he weeps when it says oh, I'm going to read it so I'm not paraphrasing Jesus said, where have you laid him? Thirty-four. Oh, I better go back to the beginning. To the full page. It says, no, the second part is this. Oh, right here. They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Every time there's unbelief, every time there's somebody who doesn't believe there's anything more that can be done, Jesus is moved. Jesus is agitated. He's not crying because of Lazarus. He's weeping because he's looking out and seeing a bunch of people who should know better and they don't believe there's anything more that can be done and they're hopeless and what they believe in their heart is coming out of their mouths and it's nothing but grieving and weeping and blaming Him and saying, I'm already I'm living in regret and I can't see any way going forward that you can redeem this. So all I can do is blame you for the past. I don't see any way that you can redeem this going forward. So I'm settled here and I'm in living now in the if you would have, then he wouldn't have. And there's nothing attached to it that makes us believe that she believed there was anything possible beyond that. Martha says, look, if you would have been here, and she was right. Had Jesus come earlier, he would have healed him while he was sick. He wouldn't have died. What she said was true. But she didn't stop there. She said, but even now I know that you are able. Even now I know if you ask God. If we ever come to a place in our lives where all we can do is lose hope going forward and live in regret for what didn't happen behind us, it's a sure sign that unbelief has filled our hearts. And I promise you, it moves and agitates the Father just like it did back then. Because He's looking at us and He's seeing a people who should be filled with hope, who are the light of the world. You're the hope of glory. Is Christ inside of you. You're the one with the answer. You were brought in that situation because the Spirit of God lives inside of you and you're supposed to be filled with all hope. May the God of all hope fill you. You're supposed to be full of it and yet you're looking at it and all you can do is allow what you see to determine what God's able to do and you don't see a way going forward that He can redeem it so you start living in regret for what didn't happen in the past.
That's what she says. You ever meet people who've had something happen in their life and they have determined that there is no hope for it ever being redeemed? And they're miserable when they look to the future and it actually feels good for them to look to the past and find somebody to blame for what didn't happen in the past rather than find someone to believe for what could happen in the future. Let that never be us. Let it never be us that loses perspective. Let it never be us that looks at Peter and says, you failed because we see Peter fail. Let it be us that ask God to see no man according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And look at Peter and say, you may have failed in the moment, but I believe in you, Peter. That's what Jesus was telling him. Peter, Peter, I've prayed for you that your strength would not fail. And when you have returned, what was he saying? Listen, I prayed for you, your faith wouldn't fail. It's not going to fail. So when you return, when you come back, when you are filled with faith, when that faith that doesn't fail is ignited in you, strengthen my brethren. What's he saying? Peter, I've seen beyond the moment where it looked like you were a failure and I'm talking to you on the other side of that because I'm not going to identify you by the mistake you made. I'm going to identify you by who you are when my word doesn't return to me void. What a trap of the enemy to get us to live in regret of what didn't happen rather than living in hope for what could going forward. He can redeem anything. Look at, look at the simple story of, of David and Bathsheba. You read through the lineage of Jesus and you start reading this so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and on and on you read. And then you come to this Solomon who was the son of Bathsheba. Bathsheba was not David's first love. She was not his wife that he got given to him by the king for killing the Goliath. She was a wife who he gained through an adulterous, murderous affair. And yet God redeems that mistake and brings forth his son through that lineage. Why wasn't Solomon born of Michael, who was the love of David's life, who was the daughter given to him by the king, who was the first woman that he married? Why didn't he bring forth Solomon through her so that Jesus' lineage could come through Michael? Instead, he brings it through Bathsheba. Why? Because he wants us every single time we read through that lineage of Jesus to see that and realize he can redeem anything it's what he does it's who he is and so Jesus weeps because he sees hopelessness he weeps for the condition of the people and he weeps because he's standing in front of them with the words of life in his mouth and yet a whole group of people would rather cry for what hasn't happened than believe for what could. I'm not saying the things that happened to you don't matter. I'm saying they don't matter more than the promise of God to redeem all things and to work all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And the thing that seems so horrible today may be a thing that you look back on. Listen, this is what Jesus was telling the disciples. He said, this, this sickness is not to, to end in death. When they told him that Lazarus was dead, they're all worried because back then if you get word that somebody's sick like that, it usually means they're dying. 
And so I'm sure the disciples cared about Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And so they said to him that, that, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But Jesus, when he heard this, said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. What was he saying to them? He's saying, listen, you guys, I have already seen the beginning from the end, and I've already seen the end from the beginning. And I'm telling you, because of what I believe to be true, I'm going to speak. Listen to my words. Whenever we find ourselves in a situation where we receive bad news, you can tell what we believe in our hearts by what the first thing that comes out of our mouth. Here's the thing. Even if you've trained yourself to not say something that doesn't sound good, and you've trained yourself to respond with Christianese or with a verse from the Bible even, but there's no belief in your heart, the enemy knows it, there's no authority on it, and he has no obligation to listen. Because the seven sons of Sceva were trying to cast out demons and they were using Jesus' name and they were saying the right things and He said, I know Paul and I know Jesus, but who are you? He tore them apart. Why? Because they didn't believe in their heart what was coming out of their mouth carried zero authority. So if what we find coming from our mouth doesn't line up with what He said in His Word. The answer is not to just change what we say. It's to dig into Him and discover what is it that I'm not believing? What is it that I don't know that is causing this to well up in my heart and causing it eventually to find its way to my mouth? Because what you believe in your heart will eventually find its way to your mouth. Always. Always. So God, why, why like Mary, when something like this happens, do I feel like there's no hope, there's nothing more that could be done? And why is it, God, that whenever something goes wrong, my instant thought is to start looking at what could have been done differently and finding someone to blame rather than turning my back on what has been done and forgetting what lies behind, pressing forward towards the high mark of the calling and saying, okay, God, that happened, but you promised this. And I believe, look, I would have dismayed had I not believed that surely I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's what David's saying. Everything going on around me right now is horrible. They're trying to kill me. They're chasing me. A man has given my wife to be, to be with another man. I'm being hunted from town to town. Everywhere I turn, people are spying on me. There's a reward on my life. I'm supposed to be king. The one who's on the throne is no longer God's anointed, and he's trying to kill me. Everything's bad right now. I'm sleeping in a cave when I should be living in a palace. And I would dismay, but there's one thing that keeps me from dismay. I believe this. I will see His goodness in the land of the living. So I'm putting a stake in the ground right here and saying, forgetting what lies behind me, I'm looking towards what lies ahead. And for the joy set before me, I'll endure whatever it is that you're calling me to. I just need to close off with this. If you ever find yourself in a situation where you have no hope, it's not because of what you are seeing. It's because of what you're not seeing. Because Jesus wasn't not seeing Lazarus dead, but Jesus saw the moment that He would speak and Lazarus would be raised from the dead. 
Anytime I find myself living hopelessly, it's not because of what I see. It's because I'm seeing it, but I'm seeing it apart from the promise of God. So if I see something happen and it's not good and it doesn't look like what God promised, then I have to remind myself that this isn't the end and that one day this will be part of a story of redemption because that's what He does. He's a Redeemer. And that even though right now I can't see it, even though I can't find the goodness in it this moment, in this day, there's a day coming where I'll be able to look back and see that thing and see the hand of God. And I believe I'll see that. And so because I believe that, the only thing that can come from my mouth is, God, if I didn't know You, I'd be a mess right now, but I know You and I know what You've promised and I can't even see that thing apart from Your promises. It's the filter that I see things through, God. It's the lens that I look at life through. It's the Gospel. It's what You did in my life and what You're going to do in their life, God. And I know this. I will see Your goodness. Not one day in heaven, but here in the land of the living. And because I know that, I can't even allow what I see behind me to affect it more than what I see that going forward. I believe that You can. Here's the truth. He's dead. Here's the greater truth. I know that you're able. See, sometimes people tell you, like, I I promise you, when you start living that way, people will tell you, well, you're in denial. You know, the truth of the matter is, is everybody lives in denial of something. You either deny the truth of God's Word, or you deny what you see that opposes the truth in God's Word. But you can't believe both at the same time. One is true, and one is truer. There's a greater truth than the truth that He's in the grave and that He has to stay in the grave. And it's this, God, He's dead, but I know that even now, You're able. If we ever lose that even now, You're able, we will have no hope and we'll be lost in despair. Don't ever lose that wonder of being a little kid and saying, my dad can do anything. Don't ever lose that. Don't ever get so smart and so analytical that you have Scriptures that keep you from believing the very simple promises of God. Don't ever use the Word of God to try to defeat the Word of God. Don't look for reasons why it can't happen. Look for the one reason why it can and believe that. Yeah, but but I used to believe that and then this happened. Listen, things happen. I know it. Tragedy touches every person's life in every kind of area just about. At some point in your life, you'll have a story. The difference is you can choose to let that story define the way that you see the Word of God for the rest of your life or you can let the Word of God and the way you see it define the way you see that story when you look back on it and believe that there's a greater truth and that there's a day of redemption coming and that even if I don't understand it now, in the moment, there will be a day coming where I see with his eyes and I understand his heart. And I'm not going to try to force myself to have an answer until I do. Well, if that's true, then how come? I don't know. I just know that nothing that you're saying changes one word that you spoke. It's the best way to live. Expecting goodness. Like, just think about it. Like, What have you lost by believing His truth in the face of what you hear and not letting it rob your peace? See, this is what happens so many times. How many of the things that we worry about in life actually never come true? So many of them. Here's the problem though. 
is that most of the time you don't know that it's not going to come true until you've spent weeks worrying about it and you can't go back in time and relive those weeks over again with the knowledge that it's not true. So why not just live every day expecting goodness so that if you do come across a day where something bad does happen, you haven't wasted two weeks leading up to it and you deal with it as it comes and you're not shaken and it hasn't defined you for the month prior. See, I just expect goodness. My little brother says that. He's like, man, if you're ever wondering about something, just call Roy. He does, because I'll just be like, oh yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, that won't happen. Dude, I wouldn't worry about that in the least bit. Yeah, but and people will give you their reasons, and that's cool. But my reason that I'm giving them, my answer I'm giving them, is not based on me being a genius and knowing something that's going to take place in the world. My answer is always based from a place of believing that God's heart is to restore, to redeem, for goodness and for kindness, and that His plan for me really is good. I believe Jeremiah 29.11. I really believe that's still His heart because He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And if His plan for His people back then was for goodness and not evil, for peace and to give us an expected end, then I believe the same God that spoke it then would speak it today and say, trust me, I know the plan I have for you. It's good. It's not evil. It's to give you a hope and a future expected end so that you have hope, so that you never lose hope, so that even in the moment when you don't see it, there's a greater truth that you can see. And you can actually live in a place where what you're seeing around you isn't determining whether or not everything's okay. What he spoke is. That's why a man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of the Father. God, what are you saying about this situation? Stop putting Martha down. So she messed up and did the dishes one time when Mary sat at his feet. She also believed that God could raise her brother from the dead when her sister could only sit back and blame him for not being there in time. Why don't we, I'm being serious when I say this, I know that sounds funny, but what if we switched even the way that we think and what we spoke about people where we didn't call him Doubting Thomas, we called him Thomas the Brave? Or we just called him Thomas? What about instead of saying, I'd rather be a sitting Mary than a busy Martha or whatever that saying is. I don't even know how that saying goes. It's not even in my vocabulary, but I've heard people say it many times. What if we just said, like, I'd rather be like Mary when she chose to sit at his feet and I'd rather like, be like Martha when she chose to believe that he could and not talk about the negative things. Why? Trust me, if you see who you are in Christ and you understand who he's called you to be, you won't have to label people as doubters to make yourself feel better about the times that you doubt you'll thank Him that the same grace that was there for Thomas is there for your life as well. And you won't get caught up in trying to call people by their mistakes. You'll get caught up in trying to look at them and see them through the eyes of the Father. Thomas says, hey, if he's going to go die, let's all go die with him. Doesn't sound like he had a lot of doubt. So stop calling him by the one time he did. It's the same for you. Stop calling yourself by the failure or mistake that you've made that you think is too big that you think defines your life. It doesn't define your life. I promise you, the mistakes that you've made don't define your life. You don't live by bread. You don't live by natural things. You live by every word that proceeds from His mouth. And if He wouldn't say it about you, then you shouldn't say it about you. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that we can just like dig into it and find Your heart. Father, I pray that today every single person in here would have our eyes so fixed on You and so full of hope for the future and so full of expectation of goodness, God, that even the things that seem like mountains in front of us, that the belief that we have in our heart would cause something to come from our mouth that talks about your goodness rather than the mountain.
I just thank You for that, for just stirring up inside of us that we would be mindful. And if we find ourselves saying things that we can't imagine You saying, that we go after that, God, that we're not okay with it, and that we dig in and we, we find out, why do I believe that? Who taught me that? Where did that come from? Why am I saying this? Not out of condemnation and not out of feeling obligated, but out of understanding there's a way that I can live where nothing except what is wholesome will come from my mouth. And if it's not wholesome, if it's not pleasing, if it's not lovely, if it's not worthy of praise or excellent, then it shouldn't be coming from my mouth. And so that means there's something that I'm believing or something I'm not seeing that's letting that come out of my mouth. God, show me that because I want only good things to come from my mouth because I want only expectation of good to be deep in my heart. I thank You for that, Father. I thank You for who You are, for all You're doing in everyone's lives. We give You glory. We give You honor. In Jesus' name.